Welcome back to Calling All Friends, the collaborative opinion podcast where each week you will hear from different people in different ways. If you're new to the show, our topics are suggested via Instagram. You can find us at callingallfriends.pod. And when we were initially getting this together and I was first asking for ideas and themes, anxiety and depression came up really frequently in my DMs. Because it's such a huge conversation, there will have to be multiple episodes on this subject. But this week, I thought we'd focus specifically on social media and how that can impact our mental health. We're still at the very start of a brand new year, and some of you may have set yourself some goals around social media. But remember, there is never a bad time to make positive change. And if you feel that the time you're spending online may be doing more harm than good, this episode might be for you. Before we get to our call, I want to know how social media makes you feel. Social media can make me feel absolutely everything. It can make me feel happy, sad, angry. I think it all depends on the kind of mood I'm in. So if I'm feeling quite down already, then if I see someone with a really clean house or a really gorgeous looking makeup or dress, then it just makes me feel absolutely terrible and quite angry about myself. However, it can make me feel really happy when I see amazing things that are being done or when someone is really, I can feel really happy for somebody. I think the way that we see social media can depend on what we are feeling on that particular minute or hour or day, because we would feel maybe very different the day after if we looked at the same post or watched the same video all over again. In 2017, I was pregnant with my second set of twins, I was given a diagnosis of a rare but life-threatening pregnancy complication. The only way I found comfort was to search on social media for somebody who had been through the same diagnosis as myself. And now I share my story online too to help others who may be going through the same or similar situation to feel less alone. So I think social media has a positive impact on my life and my mental health ultimately i feel like social media has got some sort of hold on like a lot of people um i've got this like love hate relationship with it where um sometimes i love it and i love seeing you know updates on people that i don't see very often and then other times i get fed up of seeing the same adverts and the same people posting the same rubbish and I deactivate my account for a little while and then I have to come back to it because I miss keeping in touch with people or not even actively keeping in touch but just being able to see what people are doing without being in touch with them. I think social media uh, has the ability to make you feel amazing. Um, You can ride a wave of positivity if that's where your mindset is and share that and get that fed back from other people however it has the ability to make you feel really bad if you're not in a good place or you're sort of somewhere in the middle a bit of a gray area a couple of posts from people that make you feel inferior uh, that your life isn't good enough that you haven't made a success of things can really be quite damaging i think it has a The ability to have a force for good, me too, um, body positivity, all the sort of hashtags, um, no airbrushing, all fantastic movements that by and large have a lot of the time started on social media, spread on social media. But there is that element of 
it's not real. Lots of people are showing something that isn't real. And so your everyday average mundane person that works nine to five, Monday to Friday, you know, has uh, a holiday, a year um, that they've saved up for and worked hard for and pays the bills. Watching these people that are constantly on holiday and appear to just get things gifted to them feels very vacuous. And it can feel quite insulting. uh, And it's although they're trying to advertise something and um, that's 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 taken for granted, you know that, but it can feel like they're throwing it in your face that you are just an average pleb um, and this isn't the life that you're going to have. And I'm not saying that's intentional at all. I think people make a living out of it and that's fine, but for younger people, there's this whole fake emptiness out there that just has no substance and it's hard to explain that to people with a teenager in my life now, not in that way. Um, It's hard to explain that that's not a role model or something to aim for. I personally flip-flop on this one myself. It's an amplifier for me and if I'm feeling good, then I look for the good and I can bat away the bad. But if I'm already on a downer, then it can definitely, like it doesn't uplift me, it can bring me down further. We know that everyone shows their highlight reel, but it doesn't stop us from seeing their feed and wishing we had that bag or that figure or that job, we were on that holiday, or just that we feel as happy as they look in the picture. And even as a content creator, I know it's a game. I've staged photos. I've posted happy smiles when that's not how I'm feeling. I censor tough parts of my life sometimes. And even knowing all of this, I'm still susceptible to these same irrational FOMO feelings. It sometimes feels like we'll never have enough or be enough or measure up. And you could be forgiven for thinking the whole thing is toxic. But like Primark on a Saturday morning, there's good stuff to be found if you really want to look for it. I know, it was a terrible analogy. My guest this week is just about the most perfect person to weigh in on this topic. Fiona Thomas literally wrote the book on depression in the digital age. She overcame her own anxieties and survived a nervous breakdown and has gone on to help other people through her work and the community she's created online. If you are listening to this podcast, chances are you enjoy social media to some degree. That's probably how you found out about it. And if you've lived through this bizarre transition from an analog to a digital age, you will love Fiona's book. She was also kind enough to give me a review quote for my own book last year. So, you know, we generally love Fiona. I actually recorded this call from my car to be sure we weren't interrupted since Fiona's super busy. She was very generously giving me her time and we ended up running really, really long. And I totally ran away with the conversation in parts. We talked about what we wanted from social media, like when we pick up our phone. She made some really, really good points that I'd never thought of before. When we pick up our phone, what we're looking for, how it makes us feel, whether we're relying on it for something that we can't get in our offline lives, how difficult it is to find help. And an unexpected theme was our relationship with alcohol. Whenever the subject of potentially toxic habits is in the air, my mind always goes there. So although it's not entirely on topic, I think it is relevant. And I found Fiona's responses to my constant tangents to be really insightful. Hello. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, it's me. Because mental health is such a massive, massive topic, I felt like I wanted to break it down a little bit into chunks. And I thought oh, social media would be a really like a nice, easy chunk to start with. But I feel like maybe that was actually the biggest chunk. It's a big chunk. And also my issue is that social media is just a big scapegoat um, for anything that's going, anything that's going wrong in anyone's life, um, especially mental health. Everybody just seems to want to blame social media 
And actually, a lot of the time, it is just that you've got a personal issue going on and that maybe you're ignoring it by scrolling through social media. Does that make sense? I completely agree. I think it's an amplifier. Yes. So in the same way that, I mean, I know that alcohol is depressant, but in the same way that if you go out and you're feeling really great and you have a drink, then you'll feel great. But if you feel really down, it can make you really, really bad. Um, I think social media is the thing. So like if you're in a good mood, you're good. But if you're in the bad mood, then you're constantly comparing yourself and it's really bringing you down. Exactly. And a lot of the things, like I speak to a lot of psychotherapists about um, social media when I'm, when I'm writing articles and things like that. And um, the thing they always say is don't, don't go online until you're emotionally ready um, and think about why you've picked up your phone. And that's, that's a big thing that a lot of people struggle with is why have I picked up my phone? Because a lot of the time it's because you're on your own and you may be feeling lonely, so you just pick up your phone. But then when you scroll through Instagram, you see everyone is at this event that you didn't get invited to or everyone's out having um, a night out and you weren't there. So Do you know what I mean? So whatever you're feeling is already on your mind. And then when you go into the world of social media, you've kind of, if you're feeling crap, you've got that negative bias, so you're already going to pick out whatever makes you feel even worse. I love that. I'd never really thought about what your... I know from social media, to pick up your phone, why are you picking up your phone? Like, what do you want from your phone in that moment? Yeah, and a lot of the time, it is just muscle memory. It is just... For me, like, I work from home, so when I pick up my phone, it's generally because I'm avoiding doing whatever's on my laptop. <laughs> so at the moment, it's I'm writing my second book. So a lot of the time, I'll be like, write for 30 seconds, pick up my phone. It's like, no, no, you need to write this book. And <laughs> I, like, I've, I've kind of dug quite deep into it because I've procrastinated a lot writing this book. Um, and I, I think it is because um, I want it to be really good. And I know that for it to be really good, I have to put in a lot of work with research and um, rewrites and I think it's just that kind of self-sabotage of actually no I'm not going to make it good I'm just going to ignore mm -hmm. I'm going to ignore it because there's that fear of well if I put in all this work and then it's not good then I'm, I'm rubbish so I'll just pick up my phone <laughs> yeah that's totally true it's the overwhelming feeling of like if like if I don't even try and it's not that great then exactly. I mean uh -huh. I didn't try but if I try really hard and it's not that great then where do I go from there? Exactly. <laughs> like, that's like the end of the road. I did um, read somewhere that it's something like, like you feel phantom vibrations. Like if you're wearing an Apple Watch, for example, and I know that this is for sure true because I've here and there I'll remember to put it on. But occasionally, even though it's been such a brief, feel phantom vibrations on my wrist. And it's like an endorphin thing. Apparently your body does it to you because it wants you to have that great feeling of looking at your phone and seeing that someone sent you a message or getting that like rush and so your brain actually sends you these phantom oh was that my phone i have never heard that it's it okay. sounds legit to me <laughs> yeah it does because well, it's your well, but well, you, you want those like you'd want that rush well you know when you're like out in public or you're um, on the bus or, or you're you're around like a big group of people and someone's phone, someone's phone rings mm -hmm. and you're like oh is that me and it's not you and you're like, oh. No, oh, it's not me. <laughs> uh, you're like, oh, it's not me. Oh, it's not. <clears throat> Nobody likes me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a slippery slope. I think for me recently, maybe not like to social media, but it is in my phone, is my email. Um, like my, my work email. And um, 
I tweeted about this uh, recently, so I can tell how low my self-esteem is by how often I check my junk mail. Ah. And because it's literally, like, raking through the trash yes. for, valid- for validation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, I've not had, um, you know, bloggers talk about exciting emails. I've not had any exciting emails. Maybe it's in my junk. Yeah. Maybe somebody emailed me, but it just went into my junk. But that's an amazing opportunity. That makes um, so much sense. I wouldn't. I'm. I would not have tied that to self-esteem. But you're totally right. Like when I am feeling like, oh, you know, haven't done any like major work in a while. No one's contacted me to do anything. I. I mean, at the moment, I feel like it's daily. I'm looking at my junk email <laughs> daily. Um, convincing myself that there's going to be something in there, and then it's all like you know, penis enlargement and e harmony invites and shit like that. But it, that's completely true, and I never thought of it like that. I do, yeah. I do it two or three times a day sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> but on the on the flip side, like how you can or how I use social media to kind of counteract that is that because I have built up um, a really positive community on Instagram and to a lesser extent on Twitter. I basically whenever says whenever somebody says something nice to me or says something about my book or something about um, maybe a done a speaking gig somewhere and I've had some great feedback I screenshot that shit and I save it mm-hmm. <laughs> and I put it in a folder and when I'm feeling crap I go through the folder and I read all the nice messages that people have sent me um, and that feels amazing I like that I, I hear a lot that um, like I listen to a lot of podcasts where people are interviewing like actors and actresses and stuff and um so many people and even with authors so many people say you can't let in any of it like if you don't let in the criticism then you can't let in the good but why like the good is literally all there is like that's why you're doing it the engagement from people the people saying i really enjoyed this i'm not talking about just you know flattery for flattery's sake but people saying you know i really really enjoyed this thing that you did um if you don't let that in then why would you do it in the first place I don't want Amazon um, because it, it's good for um, the book. Yeah. But I don't ask people to message me and tell me what they think, what they thought of the book. They go out of their way to message me and say something nice, which is amazing. So it feels it feels yeah. genuine. So why would you not drink that up? Yeah. <laughs> no, I completely agree. So with you working from home, being self-employed, um, how do you deal now with like the 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 bad days, the day, the days when you feel like you don't really want to get out of bed. Um, I mean, sometimes I just don't get out of bed. <laughs> That's a great thing about working from home is that sometimes I'm a so I will forgive myself for straight away or not getting dressed or um, not eating breakfast or not drinking enough water. Like, so, like it's it's really cheesy, but self forgiveness is such a huge part of. Um, good mental health and um, forgiving yourself for not meeting these um, although having a shower every day doesn't seem like an unrealistic <laughs> expectation mm. but these expectations that, that you kind of put on yourself like why do you have to have a shower before 12 o'clock it's okay if you don't um, so yeah be, forgiving myself is like a, a big thing but then also scheduling in um, time to actually just email people because if I don't get out of the house, then I'll only see my husband um, during the day. So I've started organising like co-working events in my area, which is super, super helpful because um, it's like a scheduled 
day every month where I go and meet um, other freelancers and I put it on Eventbrite so it's actually open to anyone so it's not like I'm just inviting people that I know um, like literally anyone can come if they want so that's I think that's really important and that's also what like that kind of takes what I like about social media is that you can connect with anyone like you can meet so many people from all different walks of life so I try and take that sentiment and take it into real life yeah it can still be social it's not just yeah. about scrolling through pictures yeah well that's the thing you've got to you can scroll and scroll and scroll but like why have you not dm someone why have you not left a nice comment on their picture why have you not bought something from that person why have you not signed up to their email list or whatever like engaging like as creators we're all about engagement but as a consumer as well like engage with people because mm -hmm. that's where you'll get the real value and you can meet people i've i've known of people strike up conversations in comments of other people and like become friends that is what it's for i have met yeah. so many friends through social media I, I speak about this quite frequently with the friends that i've got that i don't really have any um like what i would consider to be colleagues in this industry i don't have like blogging friends i don't have any friends that i wouldn't still be friends with if we all stopped blogging tomorrow mm -hmm. i know that's not the same for everyone like it is yeah. legitimately social and i don't have i don't have like the the bandwidth to pretend to be friends with people and to be so like i want my social to be like real i it's not you know when you're talking about engaging i know that that sometimes it there are two different versions of that and one is like legitimate genuine engagement and one is it's just hollow and people reaching out and contacting people and this doesn't have to be creators this could be viewers as well um and sometimes on the flip side that can become like trolling yeah because like when someone someone like follows you and then slides into your dm within like two minutes and says like i love your work let's collaborate mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and but it can be like good and bad like people like hate follow people i think that there is there's like a a line between real life and social media that we've put up that doesn't really need to be there like we assume yeah. that, that everyone online is like, oh, they're just a, a head. Where in actual fact, everyone online is like available potentially for you to become friends with if they have put themselves out on social media. That's such a good, that's such a good point about like this imaginary light, because obviously all the stuff that's happened recently about certain influencers mm -hmm. trolling people on, on these sites, and it seems, it seems, obviously it's not played out yet, it seems that there's not going to be any consequences for that. Um, whereas had that happened in, at a blogging event face-to-face, -face, mm -hmm. like the person may have been arrested. Yeah. Um, so we're definitely, and that is the darker side of social media, that we're living in this phase where we're all kind of feeling our way around in the dark, but hopefully soon that will all be sorted yeah well <laughs> hopefully, to look at, hopefully. at very like, least hopefully there's some gone. like guidelines or something for that but like that's a great example of um like that person was looking for engagement but they were just doing it wrong like i everything they said 100 percent disagree with wasn't someone that i was aware of to begin with anyway um mm. but you know we're not endorsing any of that but i mean like the re the how i can get along with the fact that i know that people are out there trolling me somewhere um is they are looking for engagement anywhere that they can find it and rather than 
looking directly to the people that perhaps they are interested in um they are creating that that line that isn't really there and so they're making it an us and them and engagement and it it feels these little pockets of let's be a gang it's easy to like come together against a common enemy i suppose um yes. and so it's not and sometimes that is bonding like, yes I've exactly with people as well i mean we've all we've like all been guilty yeah. of that we've grown up you know everyone's been guilty at some point of saying something about someone to mm. to like get along with the person that, that is also saying it no matter how old you were yeah, I mean, these cliques, just, they just exist everywhere, don't they? So I think it's the best way that we can, like, as creators or just as anyone uses social media, that we can deal with it is to put something better out into the world. Yeah. And I, like, that's, like, a, a lot of people come to me saying, like, social media is really harmful to me because I'm always comparing myself <clears throat> to other people, blah, blah, blah. Everyone looks so perfect or has a perfect life. And I'm like, well... What does your Instagram feed feed look like? Mm -hmm. Are you just putting up pictures of you on a Saturday night once you've had your hair and makeup professionally done? Mm -hmm. Like, why are you not putting up pictures of what you look like on a Saturday morning after you've taken all your makeup off? Like, not saying that everybody has to dance around in their pants or like take you know like semi-naked pictures, but but like, why can you not share the ups and downs online as well? Yeah, because that that's empowering for you as well and getting those those kind of negative and inverted commas emotions out and experiences out into the world is actually really healing for you as well because it builds resilience and you you can acknowledge that things aren't perfect all the time and it makes you stronger to carry on yeah but this is the kind of person who we're on i mean again we're all guilty of this we're all guilty of following people and being like oh you know, I love everything about this person and I wish I was like this person and my life looks terrible in comparison. But ultimately, it's our responsibility to edit our feed so that we don't feel that way. And if there's someone that you feel is just putting out perfection, perfection, perfection all the time and you know it's not real, don't follow them anymore. Yeah, it just, it takes for emotionally intelligent person to recognise that they're having that reaction to yeah. that specific person. Um, and yeah. But it just so happens that everybody, well, two problems, everybody's got social media. And the other problem is that nobody's talking about mental health. So a lot of people aren't in touch with their feelings. Yeah. <laughs> like in a happy way, like they're not emotionally intelligent. So they don't understand the connection between the two. No, you're right. I mean, I, I totally, I lose sight of that sometimes because I am such a self-development junkie. And like almost every waking moment of the day, I am taking in something like podcasts or mm-hmm. um, audio books, even if it's like memoirs, I love a good memoir. Mm-hmm. Um, people just t- explaining, this is how I learned about myself. And I'm like, I feel the wokest I could possibly be <laughs> when it comes to like my own mental health. And when I talk to other people and they're like, yeah, but what about this? And I think, but that's obvious, but it's not. Because yeah. and not everyone has done that. Yeah, I find that, like, because I am part of the mental health community online, like, I forget, like, because we, we're like, yeah, everything's moving in the right direction, everyone's so much more aware of mental health, and then I go back to my hometown, and I realise, oh, no, actually, the general population is not talking about this, um, and they're not, Yeah. you know, there may be, there may be 
donating to mental health charities or they're seeing celebrities and, and saying all that, that's good that they've done that. But day to day, they're not talking about mental health and they're not addressing it with their kids or their partners or, or themselves. Well, what's funny, and I will have to clear this with Lee before I put this out, but I'm sure he's <laughs> fine. Um, Lee and I were, and I did talk about this on um, YouTube like a couple of years ago when it happened, but we were really struggling when we first moved in um, to the house with my parents, which was like rough it was a big adjustment and harder than we thought it was going to be and we weren't really talking about it but we were both like silently resentful he was irritated that he felt like i'd put us in this position which was mm-hmm. not the case but whatever you know it's all dealt with now but he'd kind of he didn't know how to deal with his own feelings and so he was like blaming me i was blaming him for being so resentful and and like um what's the word when you like um with distance he distanced himself and um anyway separately we were having our own like let's say a mental health crisis um and i went to the doctor and it took me forever i'm not someone like i my leg could be falling off and i'll be like i'm fine like i'm not i do not go to the doctor whereas he is like a major hypochondriac anyway the best of times he's got a standing appointment with the doctor um whereas (laughs) i don't i never go so it took me ages and ages and ages I finally went in and I was like all smiles and happy and whatever. And I was like, look, you know, the problem is occasionally I can't catch my breath. I feel like I have to lie down on the floor or put my head out of the window. I just, I don't know where it comes from. I feel like I had what I believe to be a panic attack at work because I couldn't do either of those things. And I was in a stall in the, in the toilet and I absolutely could not. And I felt like I was like, I wasn't going to be able to breathe. Anyway, I explained all of these things to him and he said, um, everyone's got anxiety now and if you feel like you can't breathe, then you panic and you can't breathe even more. So you just need to t- take deep breaths. And I was like, yep, yeah, okay, no problem. And I closed the door and burst into tears. And I think part of this was that I couldn't, I couldn't be honest about how bad it was. And I went in with like a, everything's fine facade. And so he probably thought everything was fine. He probably, he, from his perspective, he probably couldn't um, really diagnose that because i didn't i didn't really give him the truth how and you were talking about the you were focusing on the physical symptoms as though you were worried that it was like a like a physical concern no not at all i i did think it was some kind of anxiety Uh i didn't in that and i've said this to people so many times like if you already know what if you already think you know what it is don't tell them telling me (laughs) what do you think it is like I would never go in saying I think I know what's wrong with me because I think immediately they'll be like, well, it's not that. So they I don't went like it when you self-diagnose. Exactly, yeah. exactly. But in, in that instance, because I knew I couldn't break down in front of him, I did say, look, I, for the first time in my life, I'm really struggling with what I think is anxiety. Me immediately not. Anyway, separately, I didn't know this, but separately, Lee went to the doctors and he said he was struggling to breathe. He's got asthma, and um, he was struggling to breathe. He was like really. Um, feeling like he was having dizzy spells various things and he said what was it perhaps something asthmatic related he's basically always convinced he's going to die anyway so this wasn't he didn't go in thinking it was mental health related he did go in thinking it was a physical thing and he came away with a mild dose of um antidepressant that he's still on now Hmm. and i was like what like i don't understand now by this point i we could kind of joke about it but we were each struggling with this like separately, didn't talk about it. I mean, the, the issue that he was, he was given something and I wasn't, um, I kind of struggle with, cause I'm like, is it a male, female thing? 
I mean, truly, I didn't need it, whereas I do think he had something undiagnosed that was just discovered that way, that he perhaps did need that long term. Um, but I, I didn't. I didn't. I, everything was kind of resolved with me and I'm fine now, you know, as fine as anyone can be. Um, but it does make me wonder because we weren't prepared to talk to each other about it at the time. But you, I'm I'm so aware of, of mental health. He's so aware of mental health. We're both on social media. People talk about it all the time. And yet we still didn't want to talk about it. Yeah, but until you experience it yourself, mental illness is very much like the other. Um, and people, because I didn't experience it until I was like mid-twenties. Um, and I just always thought like, well, why can't you just do the things that you know you need to do to get better? So mm. like go and exercise or take your medication or why, why, why is this person drinking? Um, and get drunk every weekend when they know it makes them feel bad but you don't know until you're in that position how overwhelming the feeling is and how you're not in control of yourself you're not in control of your mind and you can't you can't make the practical decisions because you're just stuck yeah. so until yeah until a lot unfortunately until you experience it yourself there's only so much understanding that you can have of what it feels like and it's a weird thing of like when you like I did like have a mental breakdown and you go back and try and trace like what caused it mm-hmm. what like who can I blame what did I do wrong but it's it's such a it's such a like strange concoction of lots of different things like it's never well in my experience not just one thing because like I listen to a lot of true crime podcast mm-hmm. um, and there's that whole thing of like oh this kid had the perfect upbringing perfect parents really like what's the serial killer yeah but then there's this other kid who was um he was sexually abused and he he was abandoned and then um, he started drinking alcohol when he was 10 years old and he was oh a serial killer <laughs> it's like you can't like obviously there's lots of things that, that can go wrong in someone's life but some people go through a traumatic childhood and they go out on to be like these amazing people like running charities running businesses like mm. um so it's impossible to kind of pinpoint how you're going to react to things and how how much of it is um your your physical self and your genes and how much is environmental for me it seems to be entirely genetic i mean that's you no. know my I mean, I don't mean that, you know, you're right, you're going to be or you're not going to be. Obviously, you have to have, mm. like, a certain whatever of events. But given what we know, like you say, that one person or two people can have the same experience but go off in completely different directions, there has mm. to be a, a something in you when you're born that this could happen. Like, I know I, I feel that alcoholism, it, I know that's, like, up for debate, but is a genetic trait. Um, mm. In my one side of my family, it's, like, very prevalent. Um, through many 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 generations and it just you can't get away from that these people didn't even necessarily come into contact with each other they didn't raise each other and yet some families don't struggle at all with addiction and Mm. some you can't you can't deny the trail through the family tree yeah so it definitely runs in like mental illness runs in my family um so and it's, it's something that's played on my mind a lot over the last few years and i wrote an article for I think it was Reader's Digest and I interviewed parents who have kids with mental illness and I interviewed a psychotherapist to find out 
if it was genetic because I am not planning on having kids, but it's always played on my mind of like, if I did have a kid, would I basically be giving them this mm. life sentence of depression and anxiety? And what the what the outcome of that kind of research was, especially from talking to a psychotherapist, was basically there's so many factors at play that genetics are just like one percent of the issue. And if you have got a mental illness and you as a parent have taken steps to manage that and you've got these tools that you know work for you, whether it's therapy or medication or talking about your feelings or I don't know yoga whatever you you know like you do and you're emotionally intelligent like what we were talking about earlier Mm -hmm. then she argued that you're actually in a better place to be a parent than someone who's had none of that stuff Mm. so someone who's not had a diagnosed mental illness may not actually know how to manage their emotions that well and they might not know how to manage their child's emotions um, so she was saying that if you've had a mental illness that's been diagnosed and you've kind of learned to deal with it, if your kid does have a mental illness, you're literally the best person for the job. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, you've, you've if, had to do that work that other people haven't. Uh-huh. And you might even prevent them from from getting these issues because you're so kind of willing to talk to them when things go wrong or talk about failure or not being the best in class or being sad or you're in a better position to kind of have those conversations Mm. no that's that's a really interesting point because like you say you always worry if you've got something um like again because it's the only comparison that i have i wonder like all basically throughout my childhood i was told there are addicts in the family Mm -hmm. And this is something that you need to be aware of. I remember when I started drinking, my dad would said to me, you know, you need to be careful because these things, you know, these things can happen. And I wonder, because I'm very aware of my own drinking, um, and I don't think that I drink to excess, but I am like so hyper aware that almost like weekly, I'm like reassessing how much did I drink this week? Should I have drunk less? And it's not a problem in my life at all. It's not something that I crave. It's not something that I have to do. Um, it's definitely a habit, but it's not something that I feel like is an issue at all. And yet I'm waiting for it to be a problem. And from that perspective, if you know that there is a history of depression in your family, are you just, is it like a ticking time bomb? Do you expect that that's going to happen? And could it be like a self-fulfilling prophecy? Mm, See, I think the fact that your dad had that conversation with you is an example of what I was talking about. Like he, like he could have just ignored it. He he actually it's a really it must be a really difficult thing to talk about. Yeah, I mean to clarify, but he, but he, he's he's personally not an alcoholic. Yeah, but it's yeah. something that you know was prevalent in the family. But so he decided that he needed to talk yeah. to me about it. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I think that's amazing that he decided to talk about it because I never learned about my family's history with mental illness until you after years after I had hit rock bottom. Mm. Um, so I think having the conversations with people just openly, like not telling people what to do, but actually talking about, you know, this is what I went through or this person went through. Um, like you say, like now you're aware of it. Mm. I am, but it does. Aware of it, maybe you, wouldn't have, you yeah. wouldn't have kept it in check. Yeah, no, you're probably right. It is something that um, maybe the I maybe if I had never known about it, then I would have gone off the rails. But mm-hmm. because like of I think it. the fact that you worry 
about becoming an alcoholic means that you're not going to be one because surely alcoholics don't sit there and think well I better not drink anymore (laughs) (laughs) do you know what I mean well presumably but I don't know this I think this is the thing that concerns me the people that I knew that did it could go for months and months and months completely dry um but couldn't just have a drink one drink and that was like days lost um and so I remember Chelsea Handler who I find fascinating for many reasons um she said on a podcast that every now and then she'll have a detox and she does it because she will get to a point where she feels like she's drinking too much and she never wants to have to give it up and so she recognized this is an interesting way of dealing with the problem i think um she recognizes that it could become a problem but because she still wants to be able to do it she stops before it becomes a problem to kind of reset the habits and I've spoken about this before and people who um, don't enjoy drinking at all, like my husband doesn't drink really, like maybe like twice a year. He does not enjoy alcohol whatsoever. So to him, I probably seem like an alcoholic. Um, he's like, a glass of wine. Um, but to, to other people, I'll talk about it and they'll go, well, well why would you possibly, like if, if that was something that you're concerned about, why would you drink? Because I like it. Yeah, you can't not, <laughs> you can't not drink on the basis that maybe one day you'll be an alcoholic it's like saying you can't like you can't leave the house on the off chance that a car mounts the pavement and hits you like and i get you know it's not an essential part of being but it is a part it's something that i think about all the time because of that and i think that's like i totally understand why people like if there was a way that you could prevent um having a mental health issue because you knew it was hereditary and you just chose not to. I get it. It's just it just just kind of always comes to my mind because I talk about it quite frequently, um, and I get like a real mix of, like it, I said something about being um, dry for Christmas before Christmas, and lots of people were like, "That's ridiculous," and then other people were like, "Why would that even be hard?" You're all you're coming from like your judgmental bias mm-hmm. of like this so is I how I feel. I definitely, I definitely, I've got a bit of Chelsea Handler in me then because. I always like drank from when I was a teenager and then when I got diagnosed with depression I started drinking really heavily just mm. drinking because um my, I was diagnosed with depression but I was felt very very numb for a long time mm. and so I drank to just kind of feel something so it made me happy for a while and then I would have like awful awful relapse um, and I'd be out of the game for like a week and that went on for the first few months when I was off work and it was the doctor that said, you know, you're on medication, you really need to, well, that was the excuse, he said, you really need to stop drinking. Um, and I st- I was teetotal for almost like over a year um, and that was like a big deal in yeah. my social circle um, because everybody drank that, that's how we socialise. Um, and at that point, I thought I'll never, I'll never drink again because it just, it just was starting to get so, so, so out of hand. But then eventually, I, I kind of brought it back into my life. But I now know that when, like, it's kind of like social media. So sometimes I drink when I'm happy, but sometimes I drink when I'm sad. Like, I think everybody kind of goes through that. Like, you drink to kind of deal with whatever's going on in that moment. I'm so, so glad that of, you brought it back to the right topic. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, I think I have to be aware of why I'm drinking, and it comes back to that emotional intelligence kind of thing of like why am I drinking? And then, so last year after my book came out, 
I had I think it's quite common like maybe you'll agree like I had this big big dip after my book came out of mm. like oh like I got this thing that I wanted but I'm still the same person yes <laughs> but it didn't fulfill all my hopes and dreams why yeah. so I felt very sad and that came out so my book came out in November and December is bad for me anyway just because I don't like Christmas is brings up lots of emotions for me mm-hmm. um so in December, alcohol was a big, big issue because I could kind of abuse it under the guise of yes festivities. Yeah. Um. So I was drinking like I was buying a bottle of wine like every day for a while. Um. And that, in the same way as Chelsea at Handler, I could see that it was getting out of hand, but I knew that I was going to stop. So I knew. I'm going to drink too much one night and wake up feeling so awful that I'll not that I'll give up drinking for a while. Yeah. And I did. Um, that's what happened. I had a night out where I just drank far, far, far too much. Yeah. And then I didn't drink really much over Christmas and New Year at all. Um, so I definitely go through those cycles of um, hitting, yeah. hitting it too hard and then resetting. See, I completely night. identified that I don't actually enjoy drinking. Like I do for the social aspect, but I don't actually enjoy drinking outside of the house. I don't enjoy yeah. being drunk. And I massively, because I'm like um, an extrovert and at the minute I am in a social setting, I'm like off the wall, like bananas. Like uh, if you put me in a room with three people and five minutes later you came back, you'd have thought I'd done like a line of Coke or something. <laughs> like not that I've yeah, ever done a line of Coke. People, people think you're drunk yes and i at that i i completely identified um just before christmas this is the problem like this is why i have alcohol anxiety because i actually it's nothing to do with the alcohol because i can have one drink and then i'm like i'm high as a kite and it's got nothing to do with the alcohol it's because i'm in that social setting and then everyone thinks i'm wasted and i hate that that is like my nightmare is the next day i wake up thinking oh my god and my mum said this to me before because she's very similar to me that she will have been driving and um, she'll go to work on Monday and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, Jane, you were, you were out of it. You, you were so drunk. And she's like, I drove three people home. Like I didn't have a drop of alcohol, mm-hmm. but it, people think that you are like a full on, <laughs> full, full on drunk because that's how you behave. And that I like to have like a glass of wine in the evening at home or like mm-hmm. a beer or whatever, or like if I'm going out, for tea or something, then I'll maybe like have um, a beer or something, whatever. But I don't enjoy other people seeing me drink. It's it all comes back to like the the social aspect and other people's how they feel perceptions. Yeah, because yeah. I can do it with very very close friends. But like at a Christmas party, for example, not mm-hmm. fun. Not fun at all. Interesting. Um, but that's like that. That is a, a major thing because I had, I did developed um, alcohol anxiety. I would say, or what I would call that. Um, a couple of years ago and it wasn't until Christmas that I went oh this is what it is I'm not doing that so I don't have to give it up I just need to choose when I do it yeah when you do it yeah but anyway it's got nothing to do with what we're supposed to be talking about yeah <laughs> what, I to, what I wanted to uh, write back to was um, when we were talking about um, like you, you and Lee like just and not, not talking about it and how um you don't really know you don't really know that feeling until you've you've felt it yourself um the reason that social media was so helpful for me was because i had basically opened this door into a world full of people who got how i felt and that was 
just so important to me and I didn't realise how important it was until I got it mm. because I was getting the help from a doctor, I was talking to a counsellor, I was getting um, like practical support as in like help with money and stuff from my parents, I had somewhere to live, I had all that kind of stuff on paper that you need to kind of survive but I wasn't getting that validation from other people that that what I was going through was was normal but also shit yeah <laughs> so um especially once you started like once you've come out of the darkest part and the kind of crisis point everybody around you kind of just wants you to be okay so when you have a bad day or a bad week everyone's a bit like oh this again um so having people on social media to talk to about like the the intricacies of mm. dealing like living with depression and anxiety or any mental illness ongoing is just such a support like having having somebody say oh I, I feel like that like we were saying like I feel like that when I'm hungover it triggers this or oh I I get anxiety from being on the phone or all these little things that other people will can make you feel like oh I'm not crazy yeah completely so it, is, it is a community that can be um of a massive massive Help. like you'd said originally what are you looking for when you pick up your phone like when I first started like I never I had Facebook but I was a super early adopter like I had friends annoyed with me that I wouldn't join Facebook and this I was like oh, why like what I don't I don't care about this at all and so I was a really late adopter of Facebook anyway and then all I ever used to do was take pictures on night out and then like the next day I was you know used to be able to put like 60 pictures up a time or something oh my god it yeah. was like my entire next day was posting pictures on um yeah. But what I, when I then kind of discovered proper social media, like as we know it now, later, was all through YouTube. And what I wanted from that was engagement. I was lonely. I was home all day. I was out of work. I wanted a hobby. And the, the people commenting, like, I was, it was a drug. It was like, I was making videos multiple times a day. I couldn't wait for someone to, like, I was watching the view counts. I remember so vividly, the first person ever commented on one of my videos was called Hair Love 79 <laughs> And she used to comment quite frequently and she would ask for certain things. And that is such a rush. It's the engagement from people that we are looking from, uh, looking for rather. And then if we don't get it, that's what brings us down. Yeah. And I think, like, the point I kind of make as well is that if you're... If you are like kind of fulfilled in life and you've got um you've got friends to socialise with and people to go to the pub with then you probably don't need social media for that. But the people that are turning to social media for support are the people who are isolated. So it is like people who have got anxiety um, or depression or who are unemployed or who like new mums because they feel like they don't get to talk to anyone other than their baby. Yeah. Um, that's the people that are reaching out and it's I personally think it's helpful for that as long as a, a kind of stepping stone into yeah. real life, if that makes sense. And to manage your expectations, because I've had um, so many people in the past, I mean, not so many, but a few people in the past who've like commented on something and I haven't immediately responded. I tried to respond to a lot of stuff, but you know, it gets to a point where you can't. Um, mm -hmm. And some people will take it really, really badly. And you mm -hmm. kind of just have to take a step back with stuff like that. And remember, it's got nothing to do with you. Like that person, needed me to respond for whatever reason it really didn't matter why they needed me to respond but they really needed me to respond and I didn't and they were angry because they needed me to respond they weren't angry because I didn't respond it wasn't anything they're not angry 
with me, although they they might think that they are, they're angry because they didn't get from me what they expected. And yeah. when you open social media, if you expect something, then that's often when you're disappointed. Yeah, and I think a lot of like that comes down to your kind of digital boundaries and what you what you will allow people to take from you. Like if you you can't be annoyed at people wanting quick responses if you literally respond within 30 seconds to everybody who comments because then they'll come to expect that yeah so you kind of have to set expectations with other people that you're not going to you're not going to do that because i have a lot a, a few friends who are in the social media um not the social media the mental health community and they get a lot of people in crisis mm. or and and that i've made it crystal clear from the word go that that's not what i'm here for no um, you can't ignore that you're, you'd have to be on your phone 24 7. exactly and if you as if you start engaging with those people and kind of mm. like making them rely on you then they're not getting the real help that they need not to say that you can't point someone to the samaritans um but that's really or, tough because obviously yeah. in a situation like that i mean i'm not a mental health um blogger or you know i'm not i'm not a source for that at all and yet i for sure have received messages where i've been like oh my god like you can't ignore that i can't i have to mm-hmm. respond but you make a good point that once you do you are then opening yourself up to you are then the point of contact and i'm mm-hmm. i'm not <laughs> that's not that's not exactly. why i'm here yeah and you can feel that sense of responsibility but that i think most of us know that we shouldn't be reaching out to influencers for mental health help mm. Yeah, but then, like you say, if that, again, it all comes back to why you're there and what you want from these people. Like, I, it's very, very rare for me to find someone um, that I'm following on Instagram and comment um, or message them. I just, I tend to be like more of a passive um, consumer of content. Like, if it's something that comes up and I want to, like, if I leave a comment, I never expect a response, ever. Yeah, like, I, I, think I, they'll, I think they'll, they'll read it, otherwise I won't leave the comment. I think they'll see it. But I know that most people don't respond to all the comments and they'll read it and that's all. I'm just putting it out there. That is like I I did um, an IGTV a little while ago saying that it was all about like when you leave a comment, um, you are either it is a reaction. This this got me into some trouble because people were angry that I said this. But so we'll see. Um, But I said it's either a reaction. So you are reacting to the thing that the person put out there or you are wanting a reaction. So it, that doesn't necessarily, that's not necessarily a negative thing. I think people took it that way. But like if you put out a picture and it was, um, I don't know, a picture of coffee or something, I might say something in reaction like, oh my God, I really need a cup of coffee. Or I might say, um, oh, I really want a cup of coffee. What are you drinking? Mm-hmm. There are two different things that you want from social media. You are either reacting, so you're scrolling, you're liking, you're commenting, or you're commenting expecting something. Yeah, it's like give or take, isn't it? You're either yeah. giving or you're, yeah. And I think if you are wanting a reaction, then number one, you need to manage the expectation that not every single time you're going to get it. But also, you need to edit down your feed to people who give that, like you say, people who are available for that kind of engagement. Mm-hmm. And just like, if if you're constantly looking to social media for support or, like you say, a reaction, mm-hmm. like that's that's a deeper issue but you, yeah. where, how can you get that externally because if someone the issue is like if someone took your phone away from you mm. they've taken away your coping mechanism yeah so how can you get that from other places 
Yeah, you make a good point. Because I'm like, well, it's not really a big deal because, you know, as long as you've curated your own little community of people who are all happy to talk to each other. But like you say, offline, then what? Well, what is it like when Instagram goes down? Yeah. Everyone's like, oh. <laughs> the world is... Well, it was interesting, really, when... The, I know, you know, again, I'm coming at this from, like, a creative perspective and, like, within that bubble. But I know that I see a lot of people complaining about, like, engagement and reach and all this stuff. And I frequently think nobody needs, like... People talking about engagement and reach on social media, the people following you are not all bloggers. Not everybody cares about how your engagement is terrible on Instagram. Most of those people followed you for your content. They don't care about your complaints with yeah. the with the, the platform that you're using. So I'm like, just stop anyway. But once Instagram took away the likes, the number of people I saw on Twitter saying like, what's the point? Um, is everybody else like just not going to use Instagram anymore? Like, so what? why were you using it? What was the point of Instagram? If, if they take away likes and suddenly you're not interested anymore, that is a big deal. That's very telling. Yeah. It's not like they're taking away your ability to post a picture. No, like... they've taken away <laughs> nothing else and... A piece of data. Yeah, and from the back end, you can still see how many people have liked the picture. So it is exactly. purely status, mm-hmm. which is really interesting. And that is coming from people who put stuff out there. That is not even people who are relying on... Like, you would, you kind of imagine that from the creator's perspective, they they have it together and they're putting mm-hmm. that you know that's not true because they are putting that stuff out there again for a reaction or to react everyone puts something on on the internet everyone that shares anything on the internet is doing one of those two things mm-hmm. and it, it's uh, fascinating yeah, the whole instagram likes thing like i just ever like i thought oh should i talk about this but i was like i just don't care nobody cares I just do not care and as a don't as a consumer of content no and as a consumer of content, do you care that other people can't see? Like, you can still like a picture if you want to like a picture. Yeah. They've not taken away the double tap because, like you say, muscle memory, that would, like, we'd all go to pieces if we couldn't double tap on a picture. <laughs> Our thumbs would just fall off. Yeah. Be like, but nothing's it's happening. <gasps> we'd just be double tapping on something for no reason. Um, but as a consumer of content, it makes absolutely no difference to me that you have taken away the likes. And I know that they haven't done this for the good. I'm sure they're somehow monetizing this feature that they've taken away. Um, I know they haven't done it for our mental health, but I think it's a good thing. I think that people will be more inclined to just go back to using Instagram the way they used to. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be less status driven and less, you know. Well, I think everyone's still going to find a way to make it about status because mm. it will then be about comments and saves and shares and all that kind of thing. Like they're not taking away, imagine they took away follower account. Um, imagine i mean on youtube um at the beginning of or a few months ago they um started rounding up subscriber counts mm-hmm. which is very interesting because it used to be like you could follow someone's subscriber count like minute by minute second by second um you know when all the cancel culture stuff happened last year and the thing with james charles and tarty and people would have like videos of his subscribers dropping yeah, like moment by moment and now it's. I think it rounds up to a hundred or a thousand, depending on how massive your your count is. Um, but now they round it, and that's a really interesting thing because it then becomes like you're not focused on oh that person lost or that person gained or. So yeah. it seems like these little tiny things are coming in place for the greater good. 
Which is why I think podcast is quite good as well because you can't see how many subscribers a podcast has or how many listens they've had. You can only see them in the charts. Yeah. And you don't know, and that changes all the time, and you don't really know exactly the figures behind that, which is why I think, was, I guess we're still in the kind of early stages of podcasts, although everyone does have one now. <laughs> um, they're still, it's, it's still kind of fair game to anyone. I mean, from a validation, like, junkie perspective, it's a nightmare. <laughs> because, like, yeah, I want to see the subscriber count. I want to see. Like, I don't even know if we can see how many people do subscribe to the podcast. No, I don't think you can. I don't think there Unless is a... you pay for, I think there's software you can pay for, but right. not by default. But you just have to trust that people are enjoying it, people are listening, you see how many people download it and listen and all that. But, like, I, I really struggled in previous ones that I've done, and I, I will, will be doing something similar with this one, um, where I needed a comment section. I need, if without the comment section, why are we, like, how do you know what people thought? The it engagement. Weird, it? it's, it's purely um, a one-sided kind yes. of creative process. And it's something I really enjoy, but I totally, because, of, because I so enjoy Instagram and YouTube for that instant Mm-hmm. engagement it's something that i'll put it out there and then i'm just like waiting which is kind of what what i experienced when my book came out i don't know if you're the same mm. but like nobody reads it on the first day no so, well this is the craziest thing so is that you like a few weeks or months to find out if anyone likes it right and i mean i suppose it's the same with like when you've written for publications like you know it's been published and then all day you just like it's like waiting by the phone is someone going to comment on this? It's not. I really, really miss that instant engagement with something. But what I did previously, and like I say, we'll do with this, is on our Instagram feed, I will have like our post episode. And I'm like, please just leave a comment and tell me what you thought. Like, I need that. Yeah. I need the comment. I need you to tell me, um, you know, good or bad. You need, it is, it's, it is, I've been kind of indoctrinated by the many platforms I've used that have been comment driven. But then I think it's quite good because if you get in, like good, if you really love getting comments and stuff on YouTube, um, you might not saying that you have, but hypothetically you might fall into that trap of just creating what people want. Mm. Whereas with a podcast, at least yeah, you can you kind of don't know what people want, so you just have to make something that you want to make. Yeah, you're totally right. And to be quite honest. What happened last year with Instagram for me was I, everyone complains about Instagram. No one's seeing this, no one's seeing that. And I was like, do you know what? I don't care anymore. And I'm just going to post stuff that I enjoy posting. I'm not going to worry about a feed. I'm just going to start. And the growth I saw was insane. Amazing. I it was, it was just crazy. Because suddenly I didn't care. And I was just posting things that I liked. And initially that is what we all do. That's how we gain yeah. traction in the first place. If you're not passionate about the thing, then it translates and everyone's like, oh, they're just phoning it in. They're just doing the thing mm. they think they should be doing instead of the thing that they enjoy. Yeah. And that passion for it in the first place is why people, it's why people come to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that's why the, the people that I do follow on social media that give me, she's, a, she's um, like a mummy blogger in New York and her photos are amazing. She's got like a million kids. They're all <laughs> immaculately dressed, all super colorful. She's just got what appears to be the most amazing life. And um, I couldn't be more jealous. Occasionally she'll post something. It's still a really cute picture, but the caption will be like a bit real life. Um, Mm -hmm. But she is one of the people that I follow 
that when I see her pictures, I do have a pang of, oh, like, oh, the life unlived. Like, whoa, I, that could have been me. But I so enjoy her content that I can just kind of put that into a different perspective for myself of like, this is entertainment. This is not real life. This is someone that I'm coming to for like escapism, the same as I would watch TV. It's not someone I can possibly compare myself to. We're in a different phase of life. We're in different countries. It's not the same. And I think you can take from social media, pure entertainment, so long as you switch off that, I should be doing this part of your brain, which is difficult. Yeah, it's kind of like trying to see it as a piece of art almost. Yes. Like that's been created. Um, and what will I take from it? Like you don't watch Ocean's Eleven and be like, why am I not part of this thing? <laughs> why am I not Robin Moss casinos? But like, you know, you, you would follow Jennifer Aniston and no one's looking at Jennifer Aniston's Instagram like, I should be in more movies. Exactly. There has to be, I know I was talking about the invisible line that's not there, but I think you can put up that barrier between you and people who live lives that are so far removed, like you can't relate. Um, if you really enjoy their content, you can still enjoy that as long as you put it in a different category. Yeah. But thank you for being our first proper guest. I'm really excited about it um but yeah thank you so much and um I will talk a little bit about you when you've gone okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean really how fantastic is Fiona you can and you should follow her everywhere she's Fiona likes to blog on Instagram and Fiona likes on Twitter we've actually never spoken before although we've chatted online and so as it usually is with the first conversation we did get off topic in parts and I was always super rambly i always am uh, but fiona was a really good sport as our first proper guest i am not well educated on the subject of mental health as you can probably tell and so hopefully fiona managed to steer you in a better direction and dilute my ignorance a little bit so apologies if i kind of spoke out of turn but it really is not my wheelhouse so that's why fiona um, was such a great guest this week I don't want to, um, as I've said in previous episodes, I don't want to speak on something that I don't feel completely knowledgeable about, but it was a topic that I wanted to address. I understand that anxiety and depression is a spectrum and it can affect different people in totally different ways. Over the next few months, I'm hoping to have on different guests who can demonstrate that. And if you have a story that you'd like to share, you can contact us on Instagram at callingallfriends.pod. I have so enjoyed connecting with people in this way, and especially when we're talking about something like this, the more voices in the conversation, the better. And the DM conversations that we've had have been really, I mean, at times humorous, and at times just very, very interesting. I've gained so much good from social media myself that I just can't see it as a bad thing, not like a totally bad thing. Anything can be bad in the wrong hands or used in the wrong way. So remember that you have control over your social feeds and if something isn't serving you or worse still, if it is negatively affecting you, then just remove it. As Fiona said, it is not always that simple, um, but you do have some amount of responsibility to take stock of how you're spending your time online and regularly assess how it's making you feel. If you feel like you need to take a break, take it. If you want to do away with it altogether and you feel like you can do that, then do it. But if you choose to continue to scroll, make sure you're only following people who add value to your day. And like I said, you can categorize those things. It could be uh, that someone you really enjoy, but they kind of bring, bring you down a little bit when you consider that they're like you and they're supposed to be relatable. Just consider them to be more entertaining. You know, you don't compare yourself to like real famous people or massively, um, I'm just going to hear Manny snoring in the background. Sorry if that's picking up, but he is 
totally the most asleep he's ever been. He's the loudest snoring dog in the world. He's a frog, a combination between a Frenchie and a pug. And his snores are... Like, he can't sleep in our bedroom, there's no way. Anyway, um, I can't even remember what I was talking about. But make sure you're only following people who make you feel good is generally the takeaway. Thank you so much for joining us again this week. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Share with your friends. And if you're feeling generous and you are enjoying the show, why not leave us a review on iTunes? That would be fantastic. If you want to get involved with a future show, follow us on Instagram at callingallfriends.pod and look out for the questions and calls for comment in the stories. The voice notes are my favorite part of the show. They're probably yours too. The voice notes and the calls make this. Me, by myself, who cares? And with subjects like this, they are absolutely essential. Thanks again to Fiona for joining us this week. You can find her book, Depression in the Digital Age, on Amazon and look out for her next one coming out this August. I will speak to you again next week. Bye.